and welcome to episode 58 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is your Majesty. I finally got it out there. Hi, St- hi, hi, John. <laughs> hi, this is John McCarroll. I'm John on our forums, and I really haven't played much of the game we're talking about today, but uh, it's okay. You played it 10 years ago, so that makes it pretty good. I played part of it 10 years ago. That's sick. All right. Well, you're here to talk about the PlayStation for them when we get there. Uh, that's also Kyle E. Miller. Yep. Hello. He loves this. <laughs> wow. Game. Yeah, I know, right? We're off to a great start here. It actually took us like eight times to get this intro right because I kept screwing it up. So, yeah, this is what you're getting. Uh, we also have the two heads of the music podcast that has yet to go live, and we need to start working on that. Derek, go ahead. Can you go first. Oh, f- all right, sure. I'm Derek. I'm Embryon on the boards and uh, <laughs> video games, and also video games. And uh, I'm Taylor. Stephen on the wow. Stephen, <laughs> you're Taylor. Stephen on the boards. That's my you. my worlds are just melding. Well, it's because you do nothing for this website, sir, and you're also playing System Shock 2 right now. I can see that on Steam. I Actually, I'm not playing it, though. I just have it on. Oh, okay. You're just mm. listening to the hum of the Von Braun. Yeah. Well, you know, it helps me sleep at night. Oh, that is true. Uh, so yeah. we wanted to do some more of these retro podcasts, so we thought that this was kind of the best time to do one with System Shock 2's release on good old games, uh, and also because we have Bioshock Infinite coming out here in a few weeks, even though that's not a game we're going to cover because they kind of lessen the RPG elements. But it's kind of a really cool time in games right now. Um, to just give some background, this is uh, System Shock 2. came out in 1999, so some people probably weren't even alive that are listening to this right now. Some people weren't even alive when this game came out. Uh, most of my students have never even heard of it. It's, ga- it's a game that I remember a buddy of mine uh, in my neighborhood, John, he was a really big System Shock 2 fan, and I would go over to his house and I would watch him play this game. And I remember I was kind of like intrigued by it, but I didn't quite know what to make of it. And he was going on and on about how it was one of the best games ever made. And playing it now in 2013... I've got to say, System Shock 2 has held up remarkably well. This yeah. is, whoa. I had a really similar experience. Like, uh, one of my best friends growing up, like, we still keep in touch. And he, uh, when we were in middle school and high school, like, he would constantly tell us, you should play System Shock. It's the scariest game I've ever played. You should play System Shock. It's one of the best games ever made. And he just, you know, we never played it because, you know, we just didn't get around to it. And... Playing it now, you can definitely see why people were so hung up on it, I think. I mean, it still it still holds up well for that reason, but I think, uh, like, compared to Deus Ex, the tech feels a little less janky nowadays than it, you know, I think this has aged better. Yeah, which is interesting, because they came out around the same time. Yeah, Deus Ex was a year later, wasn't it? Yeah, Deus Ex I, came out in 2000. I think, for me, part of what it might be is that Deus Ex was kind of, I mean, for me, was kind of clunky when it came out, like, the combat-wise. Like, it was great as an RPG, and, like, it was fun, but, like, it was a little wooden. This, uh, so System Shock 2, just to back up a little bit, uh, this is kind of a sci-fi, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call it survival horror so much as maybe, like, adventure horror. Um, you're playing uh, a character that is on a spaceship called the Von Braun. The spaceship is kind of a deep research vessel that has been taken over by this alien force. There's also a computer program in the background called Shodan, which has to do with the first game, that is kind of like vying for control of this thing. It's kind of like speaking in your ear and telling you to do things on the ship, go to repair stuff. And it's very much in that kind of Metroid-style gameplay where it's a big interconnected ship, 
and you open up pieces as you go along and push through the story and make various repairs to the ship. And what's striking me so much is how alive this ship feels. It it feels like it was constructed with a purpose. You know, you're on the aft portion of the ship or you're inside the engine rooms and then you'll go through an elevator to get to the medical bay. It's really in that like hard sci-fi vein and doesn't feel like a lot of third person games, uh, excuse me, 3D games at the time felt where all the rooms looked very interchangeable. There was no real lushness to the environment. No, this game feels very alive. Each compartment feels very um, specific in its purpose. And I think that's why I'm getting so drawn into this game. We talk all the time about environments and how I'm very much drawn into environments where I'm allowed to explore. And so when I'm aboard the Von Braun, I literally feel like I'm on a spaceship, even though the graphics, you know, look like, even though the enemies, for example, look like deformed origami figures. Yeah, it's like Cloud, like, got punched in the face a couple of times, and now he's coming at you. And it's awesome. But, and... and there's a really high level of interactivity in this world. You you upgrade your character uh, through using modules that kind of up his various stats and hacking or in weapons. And it's kind of like go and, go and do what you need to do. We're not really going to tell you how to behave. Some of the skills are maybe less useful than others. But it's really in that old school of like figure out how to get through this. And we're not going to give you like a specific build or we're not going to string you along and make you one specific type of character class. Although, Robert, from, from what I've been told by a lot of people, it there are builds that aren't as effective just because of how the game is made. Oh, sure, sure. I could be wrong. I, I don't know that from experience, but Kyle might know better, who I interrupted. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say that I think Rob and I share a lot of similar interests in, as far as games go, and I think one of the big reasons is that immersion factor. Oh, yeah. And System Shock 2 is just, like, one of the most immersive games you're... It's one of those games where, like, when you're not playing it, you're still sort of there. Yep. Yep. I I kind of likened it to the Spencer Mansion from Resident Evil 1 in space, where <laughs> it, it really feels like this environment is out to get you, and there's, like, nooks and crannies. You know, it, you think that this one area isn't interesting, and then you go into the room and look behind a box, and there's maybe, like, a, a health module there that you really need to survive at that moment in time, and you're like... Oh, thank God, I thought I was never going to find that. Or you find some shotgun shells. This really takes us back to the old school, like, you're running around with 12 bullets, and you don't want to waste these, so you're you're fighting enemies in melee combat. It, it's got this really, like, survivalistic element mm-hmm. to it. Um, not to put words in Steven's mouth, but we, we talked a little bit about Bioshock. And Bioshock is kind of the spiritual successor to this game. If you, if you play Bioshock and then play System Shock, you'll see where, like, the hacking elements come into, and kind of general tinkering and screwing around with the environment to your advantage comes into play. But where Bioshock and System Shock really diverge is in the resource management. In Bioshock, it's always like you have enough and you you typically you very rarely run out of ammo. Like maybe you'll have to switch over to your shotgun for a little bit instead of uh, your pistol. But I feel like System Shock Two is making you make very hard decisions about what you're going to upgrade, what kind of character you're going to use from the very beginning. Where Bioshock, you're kind of put into a jack of all trades style of gameplay. Yeah, I would agree. I th- System Shock Two, and I think it even it can even be a little bit frustrating, especially toward the end of the game, which I remember getting uh, somewhat more much more difficult. Um, but yeah, you're very limited and there's, it sort of contributes to the atmosphere of nothing. You're never safe. Like you always feel like you're in danger on the ship. 
And one of the reasons is because you never feel very powerful because you could run out of anything at any moment. Uh, the first time I ran into shotgun-wielding hybrids, like, I panicked because they were, like, hitting me from, from well down a hallway and I, I yeah. couldn't really get at them. I was really focusing on melee and I was just absolutely panicking. Like, how the hell am I going to get through this? And I, I, like, waited for him around a corner and then just clubbed him in the face with a wrench real quick. There's this real feeling of isolation in the game. Uh, it's something that I, I really wished the original Dead Space had gone more for. Like, when they first showed previews of Dead Space 1, they made it out like you were the single person on the spaceship. You were the single guy on the Ishimura, and that was terrifying. Like it's like the best scene in Alien is when it's just Sigourney Weaver at the end of the game, at the end of the movie. And then it kind of became with Dead Space that you constantly saw other humans, or they were chirping in your ear and telling you where to go, and you were an errand boy. You're that a little bit in System Shock too, but you are like the one living person on this spaceship. Yeah. And I really, really like that. It's one of the reasons I love Metroid Prime so much. You feel like you're in this this cold, desolate area. It says you. Uh, I just watched uh, last night. I watched the movie Moon for the first time. Holy crap! Like this, this, this idea that... of isolation in space. That's the Sam Ra- Rockwell movie. Oh yeah, I, actually, I saw that recently too. Yeah. Wow. Like uh, just this idea of isolation in space is a really big one in science fiction, and I think it's something that we've gotten away from in recent years. But System Shock Two just revels in this feeling of being alone and on this still ship. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's especially it's... when you're you're not exactly alone. You're with these other things that. Are difficult to kill and can easily kill you. I just lo- need meat. <laughs> I love when I'm like walking down a hallway and it's absolutely terrifying when I see a door down a hallway close. And that means to me that there's something moving around the bowels of the ship. The enemies respawn um, and they'll do so on a limited basis. Like you, you won't, I haven't run into a situation on the good old games version where like I've killed somebody and then turned around and had them up here again but they will respawn around the ship so there is a constant threat going on it's kind of similar to the crimson heads from resident evil remake where like you're never fully safe and so to see just this still ship and then elements moving from the enemies that really like sets the hairs on the back of your neck just sticking straight up like ah crap i gotta go kill that thing real quick i sure hope this isn't shodan's blood (laughs) (laughs) well done john that's all right. The hacker is a master of unlocking. <laughs> That's Barry Burton, portable phlebotomist at your service. Uh, Shodan. Where's Shodan? They do a lot of that, too. Like, the, the big reveal in the game of when you finally interact with Shodan is very much in that old-school video game storytelling method of just, like, kind of immersing you in the world and immersing you in the gameplay. And, and again, it's you're not playing a cutscene. You're experiencing Shodan's power when you first run into her, it, whatever you want to call it. And it's it's kind of humbling in a way. You're like, oh, I can't leave this room. And then the layers peel back and you finally see this all-powerful artificial intelligence. And it's like, I am nothing to this thing. I am literally less than dirt. So are you telling me I should get this game? Uh, I'm blown away right. by it. I, I'm absolutely blown away by it. It's really cool to go back and play a game. It's hard with the advancements in technology and, and how video games have developed. There's a lot of really hard edges to old school games right now, but I think there are some that have really managed to stand the test of time. I, uh, I, I think it's because this game was kind of ahead of its time when it came out. A lot of the, the things going on in this game 
were not things that you saw in other games that became very standard now because yeah. they came like when Bioshock came out. Bioshock has a lot of mechanical similarities to System Shock, and after that came out, everybody started cribbing from Bioshock. So in a way, you know, it really this was definitely ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. There, there's the element of upgrading your character, which has really come into play in action adventure games. I mean, all the way down to Laura Croft and Angel of Darkness. This idea of getting stronger as you play the game, of making decisions about your character and adjusting your playstyle. System Shock 2 is really all about that. I mean, I think you had a limited version of that in other games at the time. Like Resident Evil, you'd maybe say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the shotgun right now. But you'd have to go back to using the pistol. But in System Shock, you can rely on hacking, for example, to get through a lot of the game's problems. Like, I, I don't agree that that it's related to Resident Evil at all. I mean, Resident Evil, you didn't have skills. It was more like, okay, here's here's all the abilities you have. It's your choice. Whereas in, in System Shock, as with Deus Ex, it's about how you craft your character, not about how you use your character. I would agree with that. I, I think I was you looking... Know, like, Go ahead. As you, as you progress, you shut... You're not only opening doors to possibilities, but you're you're shutting other doors. Right. And in Bioshock, you don't have so much that you never really cut yourself off, except maybe with how much Atom you have. But you never really cut yourself off too much in Bioshock. Uh, and that's one of the big things that Irrational has actually said with Bioshock Infinite. They're going to have the 1999 mode, which they haven't talked too much about. But it's going to be a mode where you make decisions about your character and you can't go back and change them. So they're going for like that more hardcore difficulty and making sure that you tailor make your character for the situations that you're going to thrive in and you're going to have some deficiencies and you need to work with them. I think that's a really good idea to make that a separate mode in Bioshock. Yeah, Infinite. that's cool. Yeah, and I'm I'm interested to see like is Infinite going to be I talked about this earlier, but is Infinite going to be as similar to System Shock 2 where you're kind of encouraged to re- to revisit areas of the Von Braun and perform research to, to get stronger at killing certain enemies? Are they going to encourage you to do that, or is it going to be more like Bioshock, where Bioshock was a little bit more linear in that respect? Like, there wasn't much of a reason to go back to old areas except if maybe you missed a little sister. Are they going to make you explore in Bioshock Infinite, or is it going to be a little bit more linear? That's one of the big questions I have. I, I, I think I'm, I'm leaning more towards the latter. Yeah. Um, that's It's definitely... I, I enjoyed Bioshock a lot, and ironically, even though I didn't play System Shock, I was like, man, I wish this was more like System Shock. But, I mean, as an experience, Bioshock was great. I just feel like maybe it wasn't as replayable for me, and it wasn't as cohesive as system shock in terms of yeah you you know you could be good and kill the little sisters or you can not kill the little sisters but in the end it doesn't really matter because you're going to get the exact same amount of atom either way yeah yeah i i hope that they make it more like adventurous and and incentivize you to go looking like again i love games that just you know there'll be an item hidden in this one area that maybe you never would have run into except this one time you went into the room and you were looking in the right area at the right time i, I completely love agree that. i love that about video games mm-hmm. you know make me make me interested in your world make me feel like i'm scrounging for stuff uh for god's sake bring back the the item menu and having a limited number of inventory slots, you know, I, I like that. I love the attache case from Resident Evil 4. That thing is awesome. Oh, man. I love I was, that. Most of my playtime of that game was just me moving my sprays around so they all fit in the case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and arranging them by, like, usefulness and uh, making sure that the whole thing was organized. You could get really OCD about it. I loved and, it. And then getting chainsawed and using it all. 
don't. Uh, but I love that aspect of this game, and I, I think that there's still room for these kinds of games, these really exploration-heavy games. We see it with with other titles right now, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it didn't take over quite as much. I feel I feel like we had a renaissance of it with all the Castlevania uh, games on DS, and then with the Metroid Prime series, I felt like we had this real renaissance of hey, go and explore and and look out, look at this tailor-made environment, and revisit areas with new abilities, and we've kind of gotten away from that well, recently. That's God of War came out. Would you blame God of War for it? Do you think it was that? That was the I, problem? Well, I think, you know, specifically taking Castlevania into account, you know, you saw Castlevania Lords of Shadow, which was pretty much uh, Japanese God of War. Yeah, well, it wasn't ja- It was Spanish God of, God of War. It was made by Spaniards. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. It's, e- it's a very easily forgotten game. No, it, was out- it was outsourced Japanese God of War. There you go. It was a good game, but I, I think getting away from the exploration elements and now playing System Shock 2, which just revels in the exploration and, and the feeling of isolation, I really, really love that type of game. I mean, it's why I love that game that John doesn't let me talk about anymore. I, I love that sort of thing. But there, there's an interesting balance, though, because on the opposite side, you have an open world game, which I know that you aren't always very enthusiastic about. It's true. Uh, well, I Go ahead, Stephen. Uh, I, I think the the difference is that when you have a game like System Shock where it's not open world, it, the developer has gone into every little nook and cranny and said, oh, we're going to put a reward in here for going into this room because you had to crawl, crawl through the vent and you had to you know, stack a bunch of tables to sneak into this room that you never yeah. could have gotten into. Whereas in games like Skyrim, it's like, here's a ton of crap with some randomly generated five pieces of gold in the box at the end. Yeah, and uh, it's like, I, yeah. Yeah. When, when a world is specifically crafted, and, and going back to the Metroids and the Castlevanias, those are games that are set up specifically to to be able to be explored. It's it's not the you know the the systematically generated crap, right? Yeah. And, and it's like Skyrim isn't randomly generated, but it feels like it much of the time. You know, you don't have a dungeon that feels like an organic dungeon. It's just a bunch of corridor. There's not like a prison next to a torture chamber next to a shrine to this god. And you don't have like this this classic dungeon design. It's just it feels random. And I think that kind of ruins it. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I thought that there were some uh, systematically generated dungeons in Skyrim. I thought I thought none of them were. I think Skyrim. I thought that has... was one of the features. Like, oh, I, I don't, I don't recall. I could be totally wrong. Like, this is, this is not something I am sure of. I, I, rem- I remember them saying there are a couple of dungeons that are always the same, but they built it with the same toolkit. I think that the randomly generated dungeons are made from. So um, they feel the same. They feel random. Yeah. Right, and then you also have the problem where because they do that stupid upgrade thing in in Skyrim, you will find, like, a glass bow in this dungeon the first time you go through it, but then at a higher level, maybe they'll make it a higher-level bow or a lower-level bow based on where you go in. It'll still be useless because smithing is broken. Yeah, and and, and, uh, to not harp on Skyrim too much, but I I agree with you guys. Like, this is one of the reasons why I love a game that has been tailor-made by video game developers it can also balance things very well and keep you from getting like the rocket launcher on level one yeah that's true i never thought about that yeah i and just the von braun feels so alive 
and so counter to what I see in a lot of games these days, like playing your your average shooter or um, even it, it, to go along with the, with the Dead Space comparison because Dead Space was originally supposed to be a System Shock game. The Ishimura felt kind of alive. I'd say that the Dead Space Two, the environments felt cooler, but they did not feel alive at all. And then from no. the little the little Actually, that I played at Dead Space Three, I felt like they were complete kill rooms. They're much cooler in Dead Space Three. Oh, you jerk! Oh boy! But like the the Unitologist Church in Dead Space Two felt really cool, but it also felt completely like out of left field and out of place. And yeah, it's me, about you mean when the babies attack you? Uh, yeah, the first time the babies attack you, uh, or yeah. not the first time, but yeah, it's the big church, and then like, but the Ishimura they were trying to go for the the feel of feeling like a real ship, but. Uh, I like in Yahtzee's review, like, no one threw a carpet on the ground. Like, everything is just exposed bulkheads and, like, dangerous rafters. And it just it has a gothic feel to it, which is interesting, but there's no, like, living area. There's no area with, like, a couch or, like, a painting. It just – it literally feels purely industrial. And I think the Von Braun – like, the, when you get into the in, the living quarters, you know, you see beds and you see areas where people can sleep. You see coffee tables and stuff. It it feels more cohesive. You go down into the engineering area and it's like a labyrinth of hallways and you can easily get confused when you're sitting here in this radioactive environment, slowly dialing like a rat in a maze. It's really, really disturbing. Much more organic than a lot of things you see now, which are just, yeah, kill rooms. It seems like they're just designed for, this is a video game. It's not, they don't start with the design. Okay, what would a spaceship be like right they start with okay what do we want our little situations to be like in the game where do we want enemies to appear yeah there's a difference between crafting an environment and making a level yeah yeah and, and, and it's, you, yeah system shock 2 has amazing level design yeah and the ishimura is completely broken in terms of creating a cohesive world because it's split up into chapters and i i hate that i i hate not being able to some games it works like the linear game design can work if you're pushing a story forward and like derek's saying you're going into levels but if you want to create something that feels alive you have to let me explore it you have to incentivize me to explore it you also have to anticipate me exploring it. i remember uh, there was some glitch in resident evil 2 where i lost a key that I needed. And I ended up like completely borking my first run of Resident Evil 2 because I still I hadn't used like the spade key on one door or something <laughs> like that. I remember just staring at the game like, how did this even happen? Like, how was I allowed to do this? In King's Quest, that was considered a feature. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love this game. I, I think it's a really cool it's really cool to go back and play old games. And I think younger gamers and even myself being a slightly older gamer that missed out on something like this. It's really cool to go back in time and play these games and kind of see where the development can come from and, you know, why they decided to go with the pipe dream thing for, for hacking and, and Bioshock one, because the hacking is kind of broken and stupid in system shock too, but at least it's there. At least they're trying it and they're trying cool. different elements. Yeah. It's, a neat history lesson, if nothing else. Plus, it's an awesome game. And I think thematically, it kind of makes Bioshock 2 pointless. <laughs> you know, Bioshock 2 gets a lot of flack. I think Bioshock 2 plays incredibly well, the idea of having... No, it. I think it does. I think the level design is really bad, though. Did you play uh, Minerva's Den? 
Is the DLC? That's the DLC, uh, like self-contained story that came out after Bioshock. No, I didn't. That is the best Bioshock game ever made. It it because it's like a three to four hour game. You go through the upgrades really quickly. You fight interesting enemies in cool environments. It's got a good story. It, it's because like Bioshock One completely falls apart after the big reveal. Like it it really nose dives after that big reveal, and it's not really fun anymore. And Bioshock. I Hey, I, hey, hey, Rob, would you kindly start talking about RPGs? Yes, ha, ha, ha. Uh, but yeah. It, Rob, a man chooses. I did love that scene. But uh, it, it, it's hard because I, I think sometimes when you're, when you're trying to make a game and you're trying to make gameplay advancements, then maybe the level design gets peeled back. But I, I think System Shock 2 has the best level design out of the Shock games. And maybe Infinite can recreate that, but I almost feel like they have to go in a linear path given the the nature of the floating world that they're creating. I kind of feel like they're gonna they're gonna have to make it linear. Which will upset me a little bit, but just let me explore a little bit. Like I don't know. I don't buy that because look at System Shock. System Shock two takes place on a ship. What what more, you know, closed environment do you have? That's true. I agree. That's true. That's true. That is the game I'm most excited about this year because I don't think we're going to get Dark Souls 2. So that's uh, that's the game I... Or Witcher 3. Oh, boy. Actually, I think they already said it's coming out in 2014. I, um, thought, they I thought they said Witcher... Uh, there was some mistranslation about Witcher 3 possibly being a launch title on PlayStation 4. I well, highly they, doubt that. I've, yeah, I, I highly know, doubt I it, too. That was like an N4G story that I was like, what? Well, considering that most N4G stories um, are garbage yeah. from yeah. websites that no one's ever heard of that aren't, uh, you know, in any way, you know. <laughs> from Joe on joesblog.com said that System Shock 3 will be out in five minutes. Hey, hey you I leave, believe him. You, you leave Joe alone. You leave Joe alone. He's still holding out hope for Final Fantasy 15. Come on now. Mm-hmm. So any uh, final thoughts on System Shock 2? Like, besides that it's awesome and people should get this piece of, you know, gaming history? Hack yeah. the planet. Hack the planet. Yeah, you uh, missed I, I the best. You die like the rest. You probably should go out and buy it. Like, I'm, I'm going to make a blanket statement and say everyone should go out and buy it so that way oh. GOG can make enough money off of this that somebody will become interested in purchasing the rights to make a third one. Because otherwise it's never going to happen. Because... Somebody has to think they'll make money off of it. So just yeah, go we should probably. Uh, we, we we never identified. Uh, System Shock was just re- System Shock Two rather was just recent re recent re recent re recent re recent re 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 re. Please recent. be excited for E3. <laughs> <laughs> Recently re-released on GOG.com. It's ten bucks. Um, it runs incredibly well on any kind of modern rig. Um, it also runs in uh, 1920 by 1280 or whatever resolution you want to put it in. Uh, I don't know if it runs in, in 2440 by 1480. It does that... not. It goes yeah. to, but, yeah, the max is 1080. Well, still, that's pretty good for a game that came out, uh, right. you know, 13 years, 14 years ago. Yeah, like, and you get all the goodies, like the soundtrack and stuff. Yeah, I ideals and i like what he's trying to do with gaming we, we talked a little bit before the podcast and i'm sure we're gonna hit on it again here in a second but like there, there comes a like some of these developers they they come across so poorly but I, i'd like to believe that's because they have a serious passion and they really want to make the games that they want to make and they they feel that they really have to push hard and Ken just is such an artist and he just he can't communicate yes he's going to he's going to express emotions that you've never felt in real life before 
Um, but I feel like Ken Levine, every time that somebody talks to him, like he seems like a really down to earth guy. Like, Hey, we're trying to do this. When, when Bioshock infinite got in some trouble this summer and Kotaku basically ran that story that, Hey, this game is really in trouble. People are leaving. He got right out in front of that. And he was like, yeah, we tried a bunch of stuff that didn't work. He's like, we tried to do multiplayer and we spent way too much time on it and it broke and we just never got it to work. So we said, screw it, just rip it out of there. And I think that that kind of transparency is really good for the industry. And I think that also lets us see where the money's going and we can make, you know, appropriate decisions about a game rather than seeing a trailer at E3 that looks amazing and then playing a game that is, well, Aliens, Colonial Marines. That kind of transparency is good for the industry, except when it's Diablo because everybody hates Diablo because that's cool to do. We're not allowed to talk about Diablo anymore, dude. We're not? I mean, we're going to have to talk about it being on PlayStation 4 for 30 seconds, but no, you're right. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, All right. Oh, I don't need it. Okay, so should we move so, on? Um, going back to hackers' quotes, um, when they said uh, risk architecture is going to change everything, apparently they didn't mean game consoles. <laughs> <laughs> well, bam. Uh, so the PlayStation 4 was announced. Uh, it's got a very PC-esque architecture. Oh, bam. It's, it's, a, it's a risk, uh, or I'm sorry, it's a CISC <laughs> system. Based off of the uh, the A10 uh, APU, which essentially what that means is uh, AMD released uh, about two years back now, I think, a uh, processor called an APU that has uh, significantly better on-chip uh, graphics processing. So it's it's more efficient as a single system. So there's no... There's shared RAM. There's no going and saying, okay, I need the processor to do this and they need the video card to do this. Obviously, it, it you still have to tell each individual system, but it's simplified. And that's really the main thing. It plays a lot like a PC in regards to developing for it, which is good for gamers because, let's be honest here, the PlayStation 3 was not exactly easy to develop for. Yeah. I was kind of struck, Stephen and I were talking back and forth during the conference, and I was really struck by the tonal shift from Sony when it came to the PlayStation 4. Uh, The the thing that strikes me most is uh, that it was all Americans or all Westerners. For the most part. They did have, I mean, uh, what's-his-face from Capcom, Ono came up, and then we had... Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, I, I said jokingly to Steven that this is like the PlayStation made by white people. And there was like a there was like this active moving away from like the the Ridge Racer and the we've made the sexiest game console you've ever seen. Go out and get a second job to play this giant enemy crabs. This was a much more reserved Sony that was like, hey, we're working on these social features. We got this Gaikai thing going on. We've made the thing really easy to develop for. Have we mentioned that we made this thing really easy to develop for? No, seriously. Here's a bunch of developers saying how easy this is to develop for. What interested me most when they were talking about how easy it is to develop for, and they mentioned that the whole system is open for third-party services, um, I kind of got an impression because Gabe Newell was making some comments last week about consoles or something or another and i'm curious if maybe part of that whole steam box initiative is to get it onto a console like that because it's it's pretty much a pc and it seems to me like if you say hey we've integrated steam the whole pc steam library is available on your ps4 that seems like no go ahead that's never gonna happen because most 
Steam games are designed to work on Windows. They're not designed. It's not that they're designed to work on on x86 uh, or x64 processors. They're designed in mind with you know kind of DirectX and all of these very non Sony things. I got you. But yeah, like like you guys were saying though, it's it was definitely not the Sony you normally see, and I think that was part of the reason why it was maybe. I said I was underwhelmed after I saw the show, but on the other hand, it's like they did exactly what they should have done, which is they showed the controller, they showed a bunch of games, and they didn't show any commercials with babies weeping tears of blood or whatever it is that they did. Oh, I love I love how petty Microsoft was, and they got a backlash from the video game community for that when Major Nelson's like, oh yeah, not showing the game console. I guess that's one way of uh, having a press release. And everyone's just like, so have you said anything about your device that is supposedly going to prevent pre-owned game sales? Like, they need to get out in front of that and quick, because that was like, the news that's coming out about the next Xbox is potentially devastating. It'll be a great advertisement machine. You can deliver content directly to your users' brains, and they can buy Budweiser while watching the Super Bowl. I, uh, overall, I was just wondering, what were people expecting from this reveal? Like, do, does anybody remember the PlayStation 2 reveal and the Squall Rinoa reenactment of the Final Fantasy VIII dance, and then the old man face? Hey, guess what? David Cage showed up with an old man face. Awesome. It's a PlayStation mm-hmm. announcement. I like, just wanted to see RPGs. Yeah. yeah, but when have you ever seen RPGs at a freaking Final Fantasy know, 13 <clears throat> and uh, versus 13 <clears throat> and uh, Ajito for 13, whatever it was called back then? <clears throat> uh, oh, at, I was at, at, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> are, are Rob, the game that was when announced a cell phone game, you're gonna say that was at a PlayStation announcement thing? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you got me. Can I get two out of three? Well, no. they did announce. <laughs> You get all the points or you get no points. All right, all right, all right. Um, But yeah, I I would have liked to have seen some more games. Uh, You know, seeing Killzone running on the thing, it it looked pretty until it became brown. Uh, Deep down, I'm just sitting... I can't believe people took that seriously because I'm like, just because you put a HUD on there does not mean that that's actual game footage. Like, can you please not deceive me that badly? Like, that that was really like, meh. Also, just... I recall him saying that was in-engine, though. I, I'm not. Well, in in engine and gameplay are two different things. Yes, yes. Uh, and can we just call it Dragon's Dogma? Why do you have to call yeah. it down? Just it's it's called Dragon's Everybody Dogma Wants too. to Make Dark Souls. Yeah, it, yeah. it was called. Uh, what did they say on Eight Four Play? They were like uh, Dragon Souls. That's what they were calling it. Um. <laughs> uh, so I mean, we got to see some cool stuff. I thought the controller looked rad. I thought I, oh, I think that this idea of the the sharing and the community aspect and this console that's going to record your video and hold it so that you can upload it onto their own uh, their own video service. I think that's a really cool idea. The remote play stuff is amazing to me in theory. This idea that you can take your game that you're playing on your PlayStation 4 and then put it on your Vita. Uh, The suspend feature on the PlayStation 4, I'm like, thank you, God. Like, thank Mm. you for that, please. But then I start going, you know, Sony has a really bad track record with promising 8 million things and then at launch and for a year after, or, you know, we still can't get remote play right for most games. I'm sitting here going, all right, and then the Gaikai guy says that we're going to roll this stuff out in tears. 
And that basically says to me that the PlayStation 4 that you play this year, just like every other video game console, is going to be very different from the PlayStation 4 that you play a year from now or two years from now. And that that just gives me more incentive to wait until they work some of these features out. It's kind of depressing in a way. I don't know. I, like, I, I, I bought my PlayStation Vita, you know, the, the week before the actual retail release. It couldn't play PS1 classics. It couldn't do a lot of stuff. But I was still very happy with that purchase. Yeah, if there are games available for it, I mean, it doesn't look like there's going to be. Maybe Watch Dogs might incentivize me a little bit to, but, to buy it. But let's be honest here: we're not at a point where we know even most of the launch games. Oh, sure, this... sure. And yeah. and you know what? Let's also be honest: probably the games that they showed there aren't going to be launch games. You're going to have Madden <laughs> 14, and you're going to have or Madden 13 because it's mid cycle you're gonna have the stuff that's really just kind of upscaled uh you know ps3 games yeah it's it's gonna be like the 360 launch where you had hitman on you had hitman blood money that was on playstation 2 and then there was a much higher res better running version of it on the 360 and the same thing with gun i mean they already said watchdogs was going to be a playstation 3 xbox 360 game and that's cool uh, are we gonna have a Final Fantasy at launch? Oh, yeah, that's right. Swearing, hey, swearing. no, you know what? I've actually heard I've heard some rumors swirling. I, there's no, there's absolutely nothing to back this up. Um, but they, I guess, did you did you hear this from uh, from Tom or who was it? Who who was it? That was Tom N four G? I forgot. Joe. Oh, Joe. oh Joe. no, Joe. Bob, it wasn't a Joe at Joe's blog. No, there was a because they've been doing the Final Fantasy fourteen media blitz over the last couple of days, and one of the people. Um, that runs one of the community sites uh, had an interview with the director, Akihiko Yoshida. And I guess they asked something about like, so, Hey, you're about to release final fantasy 14 or reborn on PS3. And then we have a PS4 coming out later this year. So like, what you're going to do about that? And I guess he gave some visual cue. Like he was like, well, let's finish the, let's get the PS3 version out first. Cause we promised that. And then like, made some like gesture implying that they might release like FF14 on PS4 at launch. I, uh, I don't know. I don't su- know if that's I'd true su- at all. I'd but. be surprised at launch. And I know you're not saying that to be like true. I would be surprised at launch, but I I got to take a second with some of the stupid stuff that was said at this conference. Uh first off, I I'd like to, before we get to the big guys, I'd like to point out that they completely hid Randy Pitchford from this event. I yeah, found that Wow, dude. Hilarious. I they're, they're doing all these developers are talking about the PlayStation 4 and how amazing this architecture is. And then and they, they make sure to announce each person that, that is talking about this stuff. But Randy Pitchford just kind of quickly has the camera pulled away from him. It's like they kind of just took him out of the conference because that boy has a lot of explaining to do with his latest release. At one point, they actually like they showed him on the screen, but they blurred the section of the screen he was on with like a like a pixel effect. Yeah, and it I, was and, really whoa. And they moved all of his talking to scenes where you couldn't see his face. And I'm like, guys, it's okay. We know it's Randy Pitchford. Yeah, that was man. I oof, that was bad. Uh, then day. Oh boy, my my hero showed up. And I, I was angry. As soon as he showed up, I was like, just give him a second. David Cage is going to say something stupid. And at one point, he goes, We're, the power of the PlayStation 4 will allow you to experience emotions that you've never felt before. Because in, nobody, in real life. nobody has ever felt emotions from a game, ever, because we didn't have enough polygons. 
that and yeah to do the polygon thing count again i'm like are, aren't we past this are we into a realm of visual fidelity where i can't individually count the polygons i was over this with the playstation 2 into the playstation 3 hey does it does this mean i'm finally gonna be able to feel christatunity <laughs> I, I, just david cage shows up it says that they're working on something i'm guessing it's going to be an up version of beyond two souls I, i'm guessing it's going to come out for playstation 4 with like added director's cut content or whatever and maybe it'll make less sense than it will end up making but that was stupid but then so those two things were like funny ha 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 whatever there were some really good announcers i thought ono did a really good job it was cool to see him on stage and then my buddies show up from Square Enix. And they're like, hey, did you have 10 minutes? Because we're going to waste it. Here, but here was the thing. Like, I, I, was, um, I, I was giving extra help in my apartment because I had a test the next day. And so all my students were, like, gathered around my desk and we're all working. And Square Enix showed up. And I actually shushed the room. I said, I want everybody to be quiet for a second. I am going to give Square Enix a chance. Because I've been harping on them. I've been ragging on them. You know what? I remember how excited I got the first time I saw Final Fantasy XIII when I saw the Final Fantasy VII tech demo. I remember getting excited for Final Fantasy, and I was like, you know what? All cynicism. I'm going to throw it all out the window. I'm going to be I'm going to be young, idealistic, young Rob Steinman that loved video games. Show me what you got, Square Enix. And then they showed me the exact same freaking thing that Agni's Philosophy trailer that they showed at E3. Not only did that, they showed you a a pre-recorded version of an engine demonstration from a year ago. And then... And then they go, oh, and we might announce something at E3. Then they say, we are proud to announce we're making a new Final Fantasy. I wanted to say in other news, the sun came up this morning. And it was just like, you gotta do more than that. That was that literally if I had been Sony, I would have said that's what you're coming with. No, no. This is a time to show off the new technology, show things that people haven't seen before, get people excited for your console. You literally showed up and just threw up over yourself. This was like Rick Perry at the first uh, Republican debate. This was an epic fail on Square Enix's part. And you know what? I hope they release. I hope they show Final Fantasy 15 at E3 and it's versus 13 and it looks incredible. Because man, they literally can't lower the bar any more than they did. They're so out of touch. They, I, I think, so out I, of touch. I, I know people may not agree with me here because I, I do like some of the games they put out still, but the fact is they think that they still have the same kind of like reputation Brand they loyalty. had in the. Yeah, they think they have the same loyalty they had in the PS1. PS2 era, and they don't because they've been squandering it on just like that was disgusting to me. I, they I came out honestly disgusting. It's, it's like when they came out and they showed the white engine. They're like, "Look at this, so cool! It's the white engine." Then they made I think what two games on it. Now they're coming up on three. Okay, that's fine. No, hey, you know, what's you that? guys know what's crazy. Just talking about the same topic is that in the same year, Square Enix released Chrono Cross, uh, Final Fantasy Nine. Final Fantasy IX and Vagrant Story. Oh God, that was, was such. Was that the same year. summer? And Threads of Fate and uh, yeah, Threads of Fate and, um, and Legend um, of Mana. I think, I think yeah, Front Legend. Mission Five came out there. Front Mission Three came out that year too. Oh my God. <laughs> I and now they're like, hey, look, we're making another engine, and I'm like, oh, good. And then in five years, we can be like, wow, this engine was a failure, so we're gonna make another one. But uh, that plays a game. 
that plays right into the Sony conference, like the shift away from Japanese development that I felt at the Sony conference. I'm sitting there watching this like I, I would have expected Kojima or, you know, the Final Fantasy crew to show up and just, you know, I thought the Phantom Pain was going to show up and it didn't. And I'm just like, there's a real tonal shift here. And I don't want to, you know, be all like, oh, this means that Japanese games are irrelevant. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it, the tone in the industry has shifted. The shock waves, people can deny them all they want, but the change in in the Call of Duty structure and the dude bros playing video games has changed the tactic of developers and of the console makers, and they want that money now. I mean, you know, I was surprised they didn't show Call of Duty running on the damn thing. I'm was, sure there's going to be one. I was actually very surprised when Activision came out. Like I said, oh, here we go. They're going to announce Blops yeah. or whatever they're on for ps4 but then he didn't and he was like oh destiny i'm like oh wait something i'm interested in yeah that there, there were two things that would have been bigger deals uh the the diablo 3 announcement if that had happened last year that would have literally been a megaton but now because yeah. of all the bad press around that game and the and the per- perception of that title that's been completely thrown out that that went over poorly and i felt kind of bad uh but that's that's the nature of the beast but then the destiny reveal I think that that I still think Bungie doesn't quite know how to market this game. I think they're trying to do something so well, incredible. Bungie, Bungie doesn't need to market that game. No, that's true. Activision needs to. I, you know what? Some guy made an analogy on on the twi- on the tweeters, okay. and it was a really good one. It's Demon Souls is to Dark Souls as Halo is to Destiny, and it's because it's the same kind of gameplay, but now it's this giant world that has opened up and has expanded on, you know, I, I gotta say, I disagree a little bit. I, a little bit. I get what you guys are saying, but a lot of people bought halo four and a lot of young kids at the school didn't realize that halo four was made by not Bungie. They, I don't think they cared that much. And I think destiny, I think destiny is going to do great. Don't get me wrong. I think it's going to be a brand new IP and it's going to shake the industry a little bit. But I don't think that it's going to have the immediate brand loyalty. I think like it's going to be like restarting again. They're, they're going to have to get people involved in Destiny. They're going to have to market what it is exactly. Because if this game came up against Halo 5, I mean, it may beat it in terms of sheer numbers because it's on the PlayStation 3, the Xbox 360, the Xbox Infinity, whatever they call it, and the PlayStation 4. But I still think that Halo 5 has that market share pretty well carved out. Well, that's that's has everything to do with the fact that Call of Duty has market share. Yeah. And, you know, Battlefield has market share. All that comes down to is the fact that this is a new IP. And you know what? Halo was a new IP yes, at one was. point. Call of Duty was a new IP at one point. You know, Battlefield is a relative. Well, not the, the Battlefield resurgence because, you know, you had like 2142 that didn't do particularly well. And then yeah. you had Battlefield 2 and Bad Company 2, and that's when the brand kind of came back. Yeah, and you also had Kingdoms of Amalur. I, I'm, I'm saying that not to compare Destiny and Kingdoms of Amalur, but I, I agree with you that, of course, new IP has to start somewhere. Assassin's Creed, for example. But it, it, with the cost of making these games, one oh, bad but, new IP release... A- Amalur sold more than expectations. Right. What sunk 38 was their MMO. Right, right. So I I think I think Destiny will do well, but I, I was kind of... 
and I think they're doing the right thing and slowly revealing it and getting word of mouth started. I mean, there are kids who are talking about Destiny right now because it is a bungee game. I think they got to break through that dude bro barrier that Call of Duty has created and Battlefield's created. I think they can do it. But I don't think it's a given that this thing is literally going to come out and be like Megaton. I think it's going to get to Megaton. But I don't think it's going to come out of the gate and be like, oh, Jeebus. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I I think that Bungie – like I think people – like you have the audience that goes for Halo. They don't care who made it. But I think there are enough people that are that are like, oh, this is Bungie. Yeah. Well, he, here's here's what's interesting is going back to the the Halo Four point. The fact that you know your the young kids didn't know that Halo Four wasn't made by Bungie, that's just proof that Microsoft put together a good yep. internal development studio for Halo. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Now, I I, I want to get us back on topic a little bit here because I feel like we moved away from from JRPG from RPGs in general. We're moving uh, away from relatability. I mean, when do we th- when do we think we see like uh, Bethesda's Fallout Four? Like, when do we think we start seeing the actual next Final Fantasy game? I mean, what's uh, what does this mean for the E3. industry? I, I expect Fallout Four to be D three this year, or at least in video form. I or, think we see a video, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe a behind closed doors demo, the way they did with Fallout Three, the first E uh, three that it was every, at. Everything Bethesda does at E three is behind closed doors. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so I think we'll see stuff like that. I, I'm. You know, I, I bag on Square Enix, but I think we're going to see the new Final Fantasy D3. I think it's going to be rebranded versus 13. I, I think, I, 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 I think go we're going to see, like, Thief 4 at E3. I think we're going to see some 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 continuation of Square Enix going from a, a purely Japanese, we're focused on these very Japanese games, to being a more mixed publisher, yeah. which... You know, is is both a blessing and a curse. I mean, Deus Ex: Human Revolution was great. I expect the new Tomb Raider to be very good. It's just it it's you know it's not the Square Enix that released all those games in two thousand. I think yeah. we'll we'll also probably see the new Hitman because they said they wanted to annualize that franchise. Uh, so you have one of the Eidos Montreal studios is working on that. So yeah, I think you're right. I think Square Enix wants to be Square Enix has gone from being a developer to being a publisher. And that's kind of hard. That's a hard pill for me to swallow and I can deal with it. It's their business. It's their business decision. They're willing to do it. But, you know, I, I agree with John that that summer 2000, holy crap, just amazing game after amazing game. And, you know, now, I don't know. I, I, I agree with what we talked about before. I think they've really squandered their reliability in the game space. And I think they got... Mm. A Kingdom Hearts would be cool. But it... I, I think that what they've done is that they've they've kind of taken us, the, the hardcore role-playing gamers. Square Enix is not our company anymore. I, I don't necessarily think that they've pushed themselves out of the game space. I think it's that they've pushed themselves out of kind of the, the RPG space. Triple A turn-based RPG space. Now we got to look to Atlas and exceed. Yeah, I think it, you know. I mean, things change. The but somebody else will come to replace them. Yeah. Yeah. I I I found it interesting. Um, the one of the guys I forget who it was a producer or somebody on on Square Enix. He was just online and he was trying to write off the reasons why you know thirteen two didn't sell as well as thirteen. And he was trying to point out, well, people didn't understand that, 
you didn't have to play 13 to play 13 too. And I'm like, you're, you're tone deaf, dude. You're, you're absolutely tone deaf. You're not listening. You're, you're not, you're not listening to the fan response. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you're just trying to do market speech. Maybe you're trying to do damage control, but you have to at least acknowledge that 13, I, I won't sit here and say it was a bad game. I hated it, but some people really liked it. Derek, that's okay. You liked it. Cool. But you have to at least acknowledge the fact that this game was divisive. And yeah, if you of can't if you can't acknowledge if these developers cannot acknowledge that, then there's no hope for them. Like they have to acknowledge, man, we really pissed some people off with this I game. I think that's just a Square Enix kind of like that's one of the flaws of Square Enix is that they've never really had a really they've never had a good open communication with their fans and the people that buy their products. Like so much of the time they're just like, "Well, we're going to make what we're going to make and you're going to buy it. And it's like, no, you can't continue to have that mindset because they made 13.2 despite a lot of people not liking 13. And while I think that both were serviceable games, good games, you know, it's like you can't just continue to do that. I, I don't know what they're really thinking. They're, they're a bizarre company these days. Well, they made, they made uh, all the bravest. I mean, that was, you know, we wanted more turn-based well, Final Fantasy. You shut, shut the front door. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I, I just, man, we we really always attack these guys, but I think we just, we really want a return to that that Square Enix that was, you know, they're being experimental, and, and that's cool. And not every experiment that they did on the on the PlayStation One and PlayStation Two worked. <clears throat> the bouncer, not every one of these. Oh, that was a good movie. Shut up. Yeah, <laughs> I. You know what? I will take <laughs> three or I will take three or four unlimited sagas if I can get another Vagrant story. Yes. I, yes. I'm cool with experimentation, but I think that the problem is that Square Enix has, has just gone off the rail. I'm reading some some interesting blog posts. Maybe I'll post it for you guys to take a look at. Some guy did like this really in-depth analysis of Final Fantasy, and he like he went back and replayed all the games. And it, it's been a lot of fun to like read through and see the development of that franchise and just uh, the craziness that that results around each game. Like, you know, he talks about how Final Fantasy IX is absolutely incredible until you almost reach a point where they realize that they were going to make it a numbered Final Fantasy instead of Final Fantasy Gaiden. And that's when the story kind of like loses its head and goes completely and utterly insane. And it was actually kind of fun when it was just a whimsical game. Oh, you mean the final boss fight? I, I Well, Pull a Necron is definitely in there. But like th- there's just something about Final Fantasy that it, it's always been bat crap crazy. And we like that, but I think the problem is that the bat crap crazy has gone too far. And we we almost want to return to a simpler time. And I think maybe that's why I was trying so desperately to love Nino Cooney. It's because I wanted to go back to that, but Nino Cooney, whatever. So I I don't know. Let's see what they do. Let's see what they do. I want to I'm pulling for them. You know, if they announced a new Chrono game, a part of my heart would break. But at the same time, I would be like, you go for it, you crazy jerks. Only if the right people are involved. Well, the problem is that you want them to be crazy, but then when they're crazy doesn't work, we get mad at them. You know, like some people hate Chrono Cross, and I understand that. I love that game. But we want Square Enix to be crazy, but I feel like they're being crazy in all the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. But I, I want Atlas to announce Persona 5. Oh, yes. Yeah, can we get on that, please? Says, says the man who has ignored anything I have ever told him about persona 4 because i didn't want and, anything spoiled i knew you know what ending, i know the ending to persona 3 and that's like really hurt my enthusiasm well, for playing through it i wouldn't and, i never like spoiled anything but like i've written yeah, like, I bucket nothing. loads about persona 4 and you're like texting me at one in the morning hey does this do, what does this do like can i do this is this a character in the game 
Well, yeah, but that's good. That, I, I, I'm tired of going no, into everything. No, it is good. I, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> ripping All right, all right, everybody calm down. Calm down. We, sh- good. we should probably start heading on to news. All right, so or, we got some I, news? I suppose, I suppose more news. Uh, can, I, can I mention two news stories that are pretty uh, pretty important to me, just real quick? Kind of, kind yeah. of self, selfish a little bit. Uh, first off, uh, definitely speak – I know I speak for everybody on the site when I say that our hearts go out to the family of Kenji Eno. Um, really big time developer guy developed D uh, did a lot of crazy wacky stuff back in the day in terms of like showing up on stage and having a PlayStation logo turn into a Saturn logo and just completely pissing off investors. This guy was amazing. Uh, Passed away of heart failure this year. Uh, Really, really sad to lose somebody at the age of 42. I mean, that is just wow. Way too young. Way too young to use it, to lose a developer that was trying some whack. The guy made a game for people that are blind. It, it was a it was a sound based game and it was made for people that are blind and like Famitsu printed screenshots that were just blank screens. <laughs> like that's that's awesome. Like I love a developer that tries that. So he uh, made sorry, he said he made D, like the, the, the vampire game. Yeah. Well how about that? Yeah. So Hart really goes out to, to his family. I mean that's that's a horrible tragedy. Um and then also th- this one's a little bit more uh personal to me. Uh we had Ziff Davis close uh, One Up and GameSpy, which are two like the old school sources that I always went to for for video games, especially GameSpy, which was been around for decades. Um, but One Up, to me, it's the reason why I'm here doing this podcast. Was listening to the One Up Yours show when I was doing uh, my first research stint up on Long Island, and I found that show and I listened to like all the back episodes. The, the poolside cast I listened to up and down. I couldn't believe how funny it was. I always wanted to do a podcast after listening to that stuff. And GFW retro, uh, uh, Radio and Retronauts. Really, really sad to see those guys go. Um, I wish them all the luck in the world. Jeremy Parrish is still one of the best writers of video games out there. And I really hope everybody lands on their feet. That just... That really sucked. It, it had been a long time coming since like 2009. They had hit major financial trouble, but now that it's finally like done, that that really sucked to hear that. I, and I just want to to make a side note here. If there's a website that you really like and you use an ad blocker, like I I'm totally cool with ad blockers. I understand that you don't want to be annoyed, but if you run into a website that you really like and you want them to stick around, turn off the ad blocker for that site. Yeah. I mean. Even if 10% of your audience is using ad blockers, that's money that can be used to kind of keep the website going. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but you know what? If you just go to your favorite website and say, okay, I'm going to let this website's ads go through, that's cool. Um, side note, RPG fan related, if you ever see weird ads on RPG fan, let me know. Um, yeah. <laughs> John, John M at RPGfan.com so that I can turn them off if you say oh man this company's got this totally crazy ad that's doing sound i will turn that off so that that ad never shows again like those evony ads we had for a while yeah they're kind of i i squash them because they come back and they have eight or nine different games now and it's all like have a roman orgy (laughs) oh yeah i did see one of those i was like oh we're getting into that business now those things are wacky all right and hot what i mean no. Yeah. Mm. Okay. News. News. Uh, so we touched on it briefly, but we didn't actually talk about it. Uh, Diablo three was announced for PlayStation four and PlayStation three. 
at Sony's conference. Um, Fanboys shall I, tremble. I even though there's been nothing official, I would bet you a hundred dollars that it's also coming to Xbox 360 and whatever the next Xbox is as well. I'd say you're probably right. There might be a timed exclusive deal. Um, yeah, it looks like they're they're reworking the interface. They released a couple screenshots. They said they're going to show it off uh, in more detail soon. Again, if it had been a year ago, this would have been a giant megaton, like, holy crap! And instead, now it's just kind of like, meh. Now it's the internet like, meh, Torchlight 2 is better. I, I, don't piss off Dave too much. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the big stuff we'll hear, uh, they just announced they're going to do a new BlizzCon in November, so I, I'd say we're going to no Diablo 3 talk until we see what they're doing with the expansion. That's all I got to say. All right. Um... BioWare announced the final DLC for Mass Effect 3. Um, there's What's a multiplayer it? one. Shepard. There's a multiplayer one called Reckoning. Um, adds all the new classes and all the multiplayer stuff you'd expect. Um, and their single player pack is called Citadel. And honestly, it's like the most fan service DLC ever. Is it Tally in a bikini? No, no, no. By fan service, I mean it pretty much is like, here's all your favorite Mass Effect characters all in one place. <laughs> congratulations, 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 congratulate. Nobody okay. got that reference? Am I the only is one? It, is it like the cow from Earthworm Jim? Well done. Uh, I was doing Evangelion the end of that and going, what? Uh... <laughs> so, I, it, you know, it's uh, your team must uncover the truth through battles and intrigue that range from the glamour of the Citadel's ward to the top secret council archives. Blah, blah, blah. Rex comes back uh, 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 right alongside your squad, as well as the cast from the original Mass Effect th- and Mass Effect 2, including Rex. How are they doing this? Through time compression? Well, it's a DLC. Remember, all the DLCs in Mass Effect show up in uh, the yeah. regular game. Uh, yeah. So so theoretically, this this takes place whenever. You know, it's the same way that when you beat Mass Effect, you go back and like you can just go start doing stuff again. Even though, <laughs> oh hi, oh hi, you you all right, Shepard? You good? You good? Not under a pile of rubble? No, you good? All right. Uh, so I mean, that's gonna be the last piece of Mass Effect Three DLC. So whatever Mass Effect that the Montreal guys are working on will be the next thing that you see probably. Okay. Uh, Natsume is localizing a game for the PSP called Mystic Chronicles. Uh, it's an upscaled port of an iOS RPG called Fantasy Chronicles, uh, developed by Chemco. Uh, if you don't know who Chemco is, they do a lot of mobile RPGs. Um, in my personal opinion, they're not very good. It, it's they're not pretty, really. yeah, they're, they're generic RPG maker looking things, even though they're not RPG maker and they're, I mean, they're fine because they cost like two bucks on mobile, but I'm sure that the Mystic Chronicles will be 19.99, or or and and that even seems too much for a Chemco game, even if it's an upscaled port. But it is coming. Um, you can check out the gallery on RPG Fan. It looks like a mobile game. Uh, <laughs> what else do you say, really? Yeah. Uh, Witcher Three is coming to the PlayStation Four. Calm oh down, God. Kyle. Calm down, Kyle. We, uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier. We touched on it. Um, if you want to know more about the game, um, probably the best place is to pick up the newest issue of Game Informer. Wow. Like uh, way to be a shill, John. Way oh, to I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. I'm just but, teasing. I'm teasing. I, it's got all the... They, they did like an eight-page cover story on it. So I'm, that's going to... 
it's going to be your best bet to get all the information in one place. I'm really excited about it. I am also a little nervous. I mean, I trust CD Projekt Red, but I, you know, this idea of making it kind of a big open world. Yeah. See, but I just want to know what thing is about his beard. I love his beard. I love it. His beard know, is really sexy. But the thing about the open world is, they think Skyrim is generic, or rather, they know that Skyrim is generic. So I agree. They're going to be fine. I think so. I I, just some of the open world aspects of Witcher 2 were like a little fuzzy for me. Like I got really annoyed if I was trying to find a Necker nest or something. But like at the same time, I like what they're going for with the exploration because we just talked about System Shock so much and not necessarily telling you everything. So I think they can, I think they can reach a good middle ground. But I, again, this is that I like them trying something crazy. I like the fact that they're trying something different. You know what? I would like CD Projekt Red to develop the next uh, Just Cause game. Oh God. <laughs> oh I man, I, I can't really imagine what that would be. <laughs> Neither can I, but I think it would be awesome. I think it would just as be as long amazing. as I can still parachute jump off the ground. My, you know what? I go, to, totally got a two second off topic here to talk about just cause. I love the fact that you can be falling from the sky and <laughs> grapple to the ground, and you, and you absorb you. all that momentum. <laughs> that, I love that, that game though. As a physicist, Rob, you must really dig that game. I just love that game because it's, it gives you so much like player choice, and it just makes you feel like a badass. Like it, it's really one of the best superhero games ever made. Like you, you <laughs> just you just feel like you're god as you're just swinging around that environment and like tethering people to poles and like planes and like taking them for rides and stuff. <laughs> I'm a really bad person when I play that game. So I just um, I'm loading up all the news stories because I always read them on RPG Fan, and I just had a really cool ad pop up for Wizardry Online. Um, it's got you know the generic fantasy artwork, but it says free to play your way, and then play is X'd out with blood, and it says die. Ooh, I just think <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know what's weird though? They, I'm I'm surprised they're running ads for that because they pulled it from Steam, and like I don't think you can get it right now. Well, it it. SOE has always published their own stuff. I are you sure it's not back on Steam already? I thought it was just pulled because of initial issues. Yeah, I just checked and I, I don't see it. Huh. Like, I, well, and I remember them saying they weren't going to put it back on Steam till they fixed their launch issues. But I, I don't remember it having. I don't know what the issues were. Yeah, I mean it's it's available just through SOE. So, huh. uh, so the news story that that ad was on was uh, East Asia Soft, the guys who developed Rainbow Moon. <laughs> Uh, have announced this, or well, I guess SideQuest developed it. They've announced Rainbow Skies, which is a sequel. Um, and really, we know nothing about it. Uh, the only screenshots, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, are actually mock-ups. So, but I- expect more of the same kind of one or two unit strategy style gameplay. I'm a little disappointed that it seems like uh, it looks like they're using the same art style for characters. Like, because mm. there's like one character in one of the screenshots. It's like an old man or something. Oh He's yeah, the shopkeeper, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it looks kind of buddy. The environment's that's, that's, nice, that's though. That's but hyphen y buddy. Keep going. What? What? In my, well, we're we're done. We got one more news story, and that's Ooh. the uh, the big one for JRPG fans, which is NIS America just announced there are three new titles that they're publishing this year. Uh, one of which is Disgaea D2, A Brighter Darkness, which is the first <laughs> Disgaea that's a direct sequel to the original Disgaea. Laharl! Sorry, that, that title just, I just thought about that. A Brighter Darkness. Yes. Oh, goodness. What's that going to be on? Uh, PlayStation 3. 
Ooh, cool. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure it'll run on the Disgaea 4 engine, which is nice and pretty. And then you can do 1.3 trillion damage by the end of the game, I'm sure. Love it. Um, they also developed, or developed, they also announced uh, the Guided Fate Paradox, a.k.a. the God and Fate Revolution Paradox, uh, <laughs> which is a roguelike kind of in the vein of ZHP for the PSP. Uh, you take control of a character named Renya. Uh, she can control other people's fates. Uh, but that'll be out in the fall. Uh, Disgaea D2 will also be out in the fall. And then the third one, which is one that actually the Japanese company announced would be localized quite some time ago and nobody knew what was going on, is Time and Eternity, which is also known as Toki Towa, uh, developed by Image Epoch. Um, it's a PS3 title where uh, your character dies at the beginning. Spoiler. And then, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's almost like your chrono. Except you die at the very beginning of the game and then you go back in time. And you need to save yourself with the help of your bride. And the music is by Yuzo Koshiro. So that's going to be out in the summer. Um, I know initial Japanese reviews on that one were not so hot, but we'll see how it is. Cool. And that's that's all the news that I got. All right. All right. So, uh, as always, thank you very much for listening to Random Encounter. Uh, be sure to give us reviews on iTunes and subscribe to the RSS feed. Uh, so I think what we'll do is maybe next week we'll do another regular show. If we've got new games to talk about, I think maybe we want to hit Fire Emblem again uh, a little bit now that people have had some more time. I know Steven has very strong feelings about that game, so I kind of want to get him on there to, to spread the hate. Wait, which game? Fire Emblem. <sighs> yep, there it is. Uh, and then we got a uh, discussion about what we're going to do for our next, next retro episode. So let me know if you want me to start playing Digital Devil Saga or Shadow Hearts. I have this spring break now, and it's time to start tearing through some of these old games. So And I can talk a little bit about Soul Sacrifice. Soul, Soul Sacrifice. Sacrifice. You just wanted us to get that in there, didn't you, John? Pretty much. All right. But cool. no, no, no I, I, got, I got like an hour in with the game. So. Do you like it? Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, just just to give you a brief glimpse of what we're going to talk about next time, it's it's fun. It's exactly what you would expect. It's a very over the top kind of Monster Hunter style title. It it reminds me of Monster Hunter crossed with the speed of Ragnarok Odyssey crossed with Death Metal. Something where you sacrifice your enemies and your allies. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll definitely be talking about that. So uh, for John, Kyle, Derek, and Steven, see, didn't mention my name this time. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you all in a week.